0: Let's open the Word of God and find ourselves in Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. We're actually going to begin reading at the close of Romans 11. So if you'd like to find Romans 11.33... I love the way that the 11th chapter of this book opened, or rather how it closes, and then we'll go into the opening of chapter number 12. If you're in my Sunday school class, you know that we have spent some time in this chapter uh, about three weeks ago and two weeks ago, and uh, now we've entered into chapter number 13 in Sunday school, but I have been dwelling on this chapter and some of the the instruction in it, some of the power in it, and I would like for us to all take a look at what the Word of God has to say here tonight. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. And you almost cannot read Romans 11, verse 33, sitting down. There's, there's almost something against it. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. Romans 11, verse number 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever ever. will of God. Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that you would guide us in it tonight. Lord, I ask that you would give me clarity of thought and speech. Lord, I pray that you would empty me of myself. Dear Lord, I ask that you would fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit, that your people would be guided and helped tonight. And Father, I pray that I would get out of the way of that process. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When you speak to someone about the Lord for the very first time, you can almost imagine what their mind is thinking. First off, why is this guy showing up on my doorstep? Oh, great, another salesman. Why is he interrupting my day? Why does he think that it's his business? And then as the conversation goes on, if you're fortunate enough to be able to get into the conversation for any length of time, there may be a thought behind the eyes of the person that you're talking to, a question, hmm, if this God is real, I wonder what I can get from God. And so many people, they go into religion looking for an answer to that question. What can I get from God? Many who've already been saved by the grace of God, they see their life playing out day by day and they look at God's work in their life and they are wondering why God isn't giving them more. And that's just another way of asking the question, what can I get from God I've heard others say that I haven't got anything from God. (laughs) And that's not true at all. For the greatest gift that has ever been given to all mankind was given to us by God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind was given from heaven above for all who will call upon him that they might be saved. And that gift is the gift of eternal life by way of his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're wondering what can you get from God, it is forgiveness. It is to be justified before the Father. You can get redemption you can receive eternal life there's a lot of things that we can get from God but when I come to Romans chapter number 12 it seems that the tables in the heart of the believer should turn that it should not be our quest Every single time we go to the Lord in prayer or every single time our minds begin to think on the heavens, we should not always conclude with that question of what can I get from God, but rather I believe more appropriate for those who have received Christ as our Savior that the nature of the Christian life is not about what we can get from God, but it's what can we give to God. That's the entire purpose of the opening of Romans chapter number 12. In fact, if you were to do a survey of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, you will find that they center on that theme of salvation. They discuss the depravity of man for in Romans 3.23, in Romans 6.23, we see that sin is the problem and all of us have it. We learn in the pages of this scripture in Romans chapter number 10 that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we see that great doctrinal truth by the Holy Ghost of God from chapter number one all the way through the conclusion of chapter number 12 and as we, or the conclusion of chapter number 11 and as we look at the very last verse of chapter number 11, we have this good Baptist word, amen. By the way, it is totally fine. I encourage using the word amen. 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 Thank you, Brother Louis. I use the word amen so much and maybe too much, but I'll find myself watching a football game. My Mountaineers are playing Pitt tomorrow night. Don't worry, Tennessee. We're going to wear them down for you. We might not win, but we'll wear them down for you. Chances are West Virginia will score, maybe just a field goal, maybe a touchdown, and I will come excited and I will say amen. And my girls will look at me and laugh. But really with the word amen means it's so be it. So many times we see amen in the Bible and it brings this climax to conclusion and we see these last few verses in chapter number 11 and we see the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We see that, that for him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and what more appropriate word could be stated at the end of that chapter than Amen. And as chapter 11 concludes, you have a beautiful doctrinal dissertation concerning the salvation of man by the grace of God. Amen. But then what? Then the life should be changed, and our hearts should stop asking that question, What can I get from God? And it should be altered to, What can I give to Him? For He has given so much. To me, And if I could just say this here tonight as the title to the message this evening, it is all to Jesus. We sing that song at the conclusion of our services, at the invitation, all to Jesus. I surrender all to Jesus. I freely give. But do we live that? And do we believe that? Because I know that we have a desire to receive things from God and I'm not belittling that. We need to receive His mercy. We need His grace. For without it, we cannot make it a single day. We need His presence. We need the filling of His Holy Spirit. We need His Word. We need His guidance. Oh, we need the fellowship of the saints and we pray and ask for the Lord to add to His church. But I'll tell you what we also need to do is to give to give, to give, and to give all to Jesus. And in case you're worried tonight, no, I'm not preaching on your tithes or offerings, although I think if we're giving all to Jesus, it includes that too. But when I look at chapter number 12, it's bigger. It is more grand. It is all-encompassing because what Jesus wants in return for our eternal redemption what he wants is everything 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 he says in Luke chapter number 9 he said unto them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself that is to say let him empty himself Let him realize that it's not about himself anymore and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. In Galatians chapter two, verse number 20, we read the apostle write that he is crucified with Christ. He's saying, I've given all to Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I don't live to myself, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I notice the words of verse number one of chapter 12, how it describes the type of giving all that is specified here. He says specifically, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He describes the nature of our giving as a sacrifice. Those readers of this text would no doubt have been very familiar with sacrifice. For throughout the Old Testament you saw a sacrificial system where lambs not blemished were brought to to make sacrifice on the altar as an act of worship towards God. As the letter made its way to Rome, no doubt there were not just those of the Jewish community in Rome that received this being acquainted with the Old Testament sacrifices, but I would say that even in the paganism of Rome, they knew what a sacrifice was. It was an act of worship towards a deity, towards a God. It was an act of surrendering something that originally belonged to you to that, that God or that goddess of Rome. That they would give to that God. Uh, that they would try to appease that God. That they would surrender those things. And as we come to this text, no doubt the readers of that day were well aware of what it meant to be a sacrifice. Sacrifice. Our problem is this every sacrifice I've ever known of is is dead. You look to the Old Testament and you see them bringing the lamb and it is slain and placed on that sacrificial altar. The bullock there in the book of Kings as Elijah began to prepare his altar, the bullock was slain and cut into pieces and placed on that altar. Here we have time and time again those taking living things and making them dead and turning them to a sacrifice and I'm reminded of a man by the name of Abraham. And he is commanded to take his son, his only son Isaac, to the top of this mountain and then sacrifice that son Isaac. But you see, as that little boy, as that boy was there on the altar and as the knife was raised above, that was not a dead sacrifice, but that sacrifice was living. That sacrifice was breathing. And what God was wanting, God was not so much interested in having all of Isaac. He wanted all of Abraham. And he was asking Abraham to give everything, to give his son, to give his life, to give his mission, to give his purpose, and we that are redeemed by the grace of God ought to give everything to the Lord. He wants our life. Our life. As I look through this verse, verse number one and two, I say, well, what is my life if I'm to offer living sacrifice? Some of you, you know your Bibles well, and you immediately thought, "Oh, our our life—what is it? Well, the Bible answers: our life is a vapor; it appeareth for a little time, then it vanisheth away." And you're absolutely right—it is a vapor. Speaking of its brevity, but what is our life made up of? What is it composed of? There's a time in the Gospels in Matthew, chapter number twenty-two. Verse 37, where Jesus seems to grab three things that are part of our life and and describes that if we're going to love God appropriately, we need to be fully invested in all three of these areas. If we are going to give all to Jesus, Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And we see that in our life there is our heart, our soul, and our Mind and with these things in mind, I recognize that I am a. I believe a not a Trinity as God is three persons in one: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I believe that I am a trichotomy. I believe that I am body, soul, and spirit. I believe that there's a consciousness in my mind. I believe that there is a physical body, though that I have been given as a gift from God, which I won't take lightly, and I try to stop abusing. And then then I also know that there is something inside of me. There is a, a soul. There is a spirit within me that is not part of this body, although it is indwelled in this body. And this spirit is going to live forever somewhere in heaven or hell. And if I am going to give all to Jesus, then I need to give my soul. I need to give all of my body. And I need to give all of my mind. I'd like for you to look with me here in this passage as I, as I break this down. Chapter number 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the, the mercies of God. I believe that mercies, the mercies of God, are directly tied to the matters of our soul. Mercies are Tied to the book of salvation to the to salvation throughout the book of Romans and throughout the Bible. For if it were not his mercy, we would never be able to find salvation for our soul. It is his mercy which allows our soul to be at peace with God. It is his mercies that allow us to come into the presence of his love and the glories of his presence. Without the mercy of God, the grace of God could not exist. Without the mercy of God, we could not find forgiveness. So when I read here this idea, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I see a salvific word here. I see one pertaining to our soul that that lifts us out of the temporal here on this world and reaches us up towards the glories of God. And it's not because of our merit. It's because of his mercy. You know, I want you to know that you cannot give all to Jesus until you have entrusted your soul to him. You know, the Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's an impossibility to please God until we've received Him as our Savior, until we've entrusted our soul to Him. And I don't know who may be here in need of salvation tonight, but I remind you of what the Word of God says. And what it's saying is that there is no other name given among men, no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved And we cannot give everything to God until we have first and foremost given our soul to him, entrusted him to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross would be sufficient for our soul. And this is the hardest thing for some people to do because they feel that in order for their soul to be at peace, they must take the reins of it captive again and work and and labor before the Lord to prove themselves when that's not the case at all. We simply surrender our salvation and entrust it to the Lord. You know, some of the problem with the way that we talk about our salvation is that it seems when we phrase it that way, that the possession of that salvation is ours. But if you read the words of Jesus Christ in the book of John, I believe it is chapter 10, you learn that, yes, he gives you something called eternal life. But then he takes something for himself called your soul. Oh, he speaks that, that we, once we are saved, he gives us eternal life, but then he places us in the hand of the Father and in the hand of the Son and then sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And friends, if you've received Christ as your, as, as your Savior, your soul is in the hands of God and no man can pluck that out. No man can pluck that out. And if you want to give all to Jesus, you got to start with your soul. Oh, religious formalism won't do it. Tithing won't do it. Singing in the choir won't do it. None of those things will do it. It's all by His mercy. It's all by His grace. We must first give our soul to Him. But I love how it goes beyond just that initial moment of salvation as He comforts our soul Because when I read the Bible, I I notice it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You ever notice that? See, God just doesn't doesn't have mercy. He has mercies. Oh, there's, there's more of them. There's more of them, and and I I won't take time to go through everything I've got written down here, but if I I could, can I just share you some of the mercies that are just a couple pages over in your Bible in Romans chapter number eight? How about this one, Romans chapter number eight, verse number 31 says this. How about this for something that, that we have as a result of his mercy? What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, give him your soul and you'll gain his mercy. Oh, and he'll be for you. Not against you. I notice here as I continue to read um, down even further, verse number 34, it says, who, uh, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And we have the mercy of his interceding work. We see in verse number 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Boy, I love this about his mercies. Is that it, it describes that because of his mercy, tribulation can't separate us. You may think, Well, well, Pastor Jared, you don't understand the immense pressure that I am under right now and the attack that I'm feeling, and I may not. I may never taste a drop of the severity of what you're going through here tonight, but I can promise you this, that the mercy of God is there, and if you would give it all to Jesus and rest your soul on the promise of his mercy, that he will not leave you. He will not allow you to be separated from the love of Christ, whether it be tribulation that comes, whether it's distress, whether it's persecution, whether it's famine, whether it's nakedness, whether it's whether it's peril, whether it's sword, yes, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things it says, We're more than conquerors. Why? Because of his love. Why is his love there? Because of his mercy. And if you would just entrust, give him your soul, he'll carry you through. Oh, he says that he's persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We say the only way to be the beneficiary of his mercy is to give him your soul. I notice... Secondly, when I go back to Romans chapter number 12, I I see that we must give all to Jesus. We must give our soul to Jesus. And by the way, what Jesus does with our soul is the motivation to make the sacrifice for everything else. Oh, to be forgiven and stand in his presence, to see his glory, should motivate us for the rest. And it says... As the verse continues, verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, notice this phrase, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are soul and we ought to give all of our soul to Jesus. But we have this body, this flesh and blood. I notice that What we are supposed to be doing with this body is to present it, that ye present your bodies. My mind is held captive to the first few words of this verse as well. I beseech you. That word beseech in the Greek is parakleo. It is this idea of coming alongside. It's also used to describe the work that the Holy Spirit of God does. It's this idea of comfort as well as invitation and what the apostle paul is saying is he's saying hey i have presented my body as a living sacrifice to the lord jesus christ i have given him my soul i have given him my body and hey i want you to come alongside and get in on this I want to invite you, encourage you. I want to strap a tow rope around you and drag you over here. Because if you're not presenting your body a whole, a living sacrifice, you are missing it. And here he comes and he describes this, this beseeching activity as presenting your bodies. Once again, drawing back to the Old Testament picture that was pointing to Jesus as they would present these sacrifices. And I'll tell you, once they put a sacrifice on the altar, they weren't taking it back to the house. That's what that word present means. To offer up entirely. And that's what we must do with our bodies. Did you ever consider the fact that Jesus Christ himself was made in the likeness of man, took upon himself the likeness of man. He was flesh and blood as well as 100% God. And in First Peter chapter 2, verse number 24, it specifies this. Listen carefully. It says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body. On the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He gave of Himself, but how did God show that? He put all of our sin in the body of Jesus Christ. You might not think about those ten fingers and ten toes that you have. If you're missing any digits, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you. You may not give much mind to your legs or your back, your arms. And you may wish even that that image that glares back at you every morning in the mirror looked a little bit different. I have these little lines over here that have been appearing. I used to kind of like them at first because everybody thought I was a little kid. And I think maybe sometimes I still look like one. This body ages, doesn't it? But every time we look down at our hands or every time we we shave our face or begin to to fix our hair and clothe ourselves for the day, let's be reminded that that body that we have been given by God, that we are clothing, that we are shaving, that we are preparing ought to be first and foremost prepared for His glory. Do you realize that it specifies both with Jesus Christ as well as with us that this sacrifice of our body is for Him? You see, the truth of the matter is that what we do with our bodies matters. So does it... it, Matter what I do with my body? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 19 says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. This is the house, this is the temple, this is the place where the Holy Spirit of God dwells with us most intimately and most evidently. You may say, well, no, no, the most evident word of, the, uh, of God in, in us is as, as we gather and as we feel his presence during worship. Well, let me tell you the most intimate place that we should be feeling his presence is in our body because that is where he dwells. And this might seem like a like a silly thought and I'm not trying to pick or get on to anyone but I have seen people do some crazy things with their body. Between piercings and tattoos, head to toe, uh, distortions. I heard recently of someone getting branded. First guy I ever saw get branded. Did you know that was a thing? I don't know if you did or not. You probably did. First guy I ever saw get branded was in basic training. That guy was nuts. He thought it'd be really cool if they just took a hot iron and pressed it on his arm and let that thing bubble up. He was crazy. He was abusing his body. And I'm just wanting to clarify the fact that if we are going to give all to Jesus, it's not just about our soul. It's our body as well. It's our body. It's what we allow In our body. It's it's how we adorn our body. It's how we care for our body. The very next verse there from what I previously read in 1 Corinthians 6 says this. For ye are bought with a price. You're bought with a price. And you may say, well, that's just my soul. Well, listen. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I want you to know my heart in this, I, I am not trying to pick or, or, or be coarse to anyone. I'm simply saying, let's be mindful of the fact that if we are going to give all to Jesus, that's our body too. It's our body too. And what we do with our bodies matters. Whether or not we put drugs in our bodies matters. Whether or not we pickle our livers with alcohol matters. Whether or not we give ourselves completely over to, to unhealthy and a dangerous lifestyle. I'm here to say it matters. You're, you're about to hear a Baptist preacher preach on gluttony for the very first time ever. And yes, it's a skinny guy. So just forgive me. But I'm telling you, sometimes I gored myself and my body wakes up in the morning. It's like, oh, and I think, was well, that the best thing? You see, Pastor Jerry, this this seems like an odd point in the message. Look, I'm just saying that if we're going to give all to Jesus and present it all as a sacrifice, it doesn't just refer to our soul. It also refers to our bodies. As a result of that, I, I believe that how we present our bodies should matter how we present our bodies. And so many people, they, 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 they see that, that idea and, and they get so locked up and concerned that, oh, are, are, is he gonna say next that you gotta wear a, a shirt and tie every day of your life and, and you gotta you know, always look a, a certain way. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that we ought to be mindful and we ought to care how we're presenting our bodies because they're a holy thing to God. It is his tabernacle. It is his dwelling. And if we are not cautious, we can adorn ourselves in such a way where the very last thing on someone's mind that sees us is that that is a holy body. God help us. God help us. So, Pastor Jared, doesn't the Bible say that the Lord seeth not as man seeth? For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart? Yes, absolutely it does. It says, for the man looketh on the outward appearance. You're right. <laughs> and it does say, for the Lord looketh on the heart. You're right. And I don't think what the verse is saying, what I'm, I don't believe that it's saying is, hey, look however you want to look, because... It's only God's eyes that matter. No, when I read the New Testament, I realize that we are supposed to be a, a salt and a light in this world, that we are supposed to come out from among them and be ye separate, that there should be some distinction about God's people. And, and, I'm, and I'm just saying that we don't speak about this very often. We don't look about this. We don't consider the fact that if we are going to give all to Jesus, that counts our body too. we're three part we're, we're a soul we're a body and we're a mind some of you are like whew, glad he's getting off that body thing." <laughs> if we're going to give all to Jesus yeah it needs to be our soul it needs to be our bodies but he wants our mind as well I, I love the close of verse number tw- verse number one He says that we should present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then it makes a statement, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. You know what that means? That means you give him everything because it's a reasonable request. With all that he's given you remember as we have been saved now the question is not what can i get to get from god it's what can i give to him what can i give to him Because when I look at what he's given, it just makes sense in my mind that I give him everything. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I want him to have everything. And that statement, which is your reasonable service, it is a statement not concerning the soul, not concerning the body, but concerning the mind. In other words, it's this idea that, hey, you're thinking about it you're thinking about what he's done for you, what you're doing for him. It's not passive, is it? No, he's saying you're doing this because you've had this, this thought in your mind. Hmm. He's done so much for me. I'm thinking about that. There's some things I need to give to him. I want to give him my soul. I want to give him my body. I want to give him my mind. And having made that statement reasonable, this idea of reasoning, this logical application, this logical process for what he's done, then we burst onto verse number two. And he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind. You know what I, I... I have heard this preached so many with so many different emphasis all very biblical by the way I could for example Emphasize the contrast between being conformed to this world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That our minds are inherently conformed to our culture, to the ideals, to the values and the morals of the world. And we need to, on, in contrast from that, focus on the renewing of our mind in the likeness of Christ, that our our mind would mind spiritual things and our heart would be set towards spiritual things. And I, I, I've I seen and I've heard that preached and I, I think that's helpful and I may preach that some, other time. But tonight, this is what I want to emphasize from this text be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind I was thinking about this idea that as verse number one closes out with this idea of reasoning it is your reasonable service and as you're reasoning your mind is renewed in other words there's something very intentional happening in your mind it's not accidental you're not coming into the the work week accidentally Uh, you are thinking about the fact that you are bought with a price that you want to give all to Jesus that your soul has been purchased by his mercy that your body is not yours and you are actively wanting to conform your mind to his and in every situation you're not just going about the humdrum life but you're constantly in that prayerful thought Lord what will thou have me to do what should I be thinking what should I be loving what should I be hating what should I be cherishing Lord search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's this continual, present state of mind that I am giving all to Jesus because he is worthy. We have so many dead churches. It's the truth. By the way, I'm not thinking of the one you think I'm thinking of or whatever. I know how you people are. Oh, he must be talking about so-and-so. No, just generally speaking, there's churches closing their door every day. There's a lot of dead churches. You know why? It's because there's a lot of believers who are not mindful of the reality of their purchased redemption and they are not living in conscious light of that. It's become mundane to them that's how churches die that's how our spiritual life begins to wilt and wither it's because we have forgotten to be mindful that we are giving all to Jesus because he has given all to us that we are giving him our soul that when worries overwhelm us when fears overcome us that we cast all of our care upon him and we find peace for our soul we have been redeemed by his mercy and we look at our bodies and we have a conscious understanding as we clothe ourselves, as we prepare ourselves, as we conduct ourselves, as we put whatever it is in our bodies and take part in whatever activities we take part of with our bodies, we do so in a way that is mindful of the fact that we're giving all to Jesus. And from the time the alarm goes off in the morning to the time that our mind slips into dreaming at night, we have a consciousness an awareness that we are putting our lives on the altar and giving it all, soul, body, and mind, to Jesus. I wonder how many of us could say honestly. That's a description of our spiritual life right now. Could I come before this congregation and say, you know what, I've given him all of my soul, all of my body, and all of my mind. To be honest, I don't know that I could say that. That means there's a renewing work that needs to keep happening. And he's promised by the Holy Spirit of God and He will help do that work of sanctification within us, that purifying process. But can we do inventory this evening? Maybe there's some here who have never given Him their soul. If you were to die tonight, you would slip into the flames of eternity because you've never received Christ as your Savior. Will you give him your soul? Maybe there's some that the weakness in your walk. It's your, it's your body. It's your flesh. It's the temptation that's there in the flesh. It's the things that you give into. It's your desires. It's, it's how you conduct yourself in your body. I think it's the call to the mission field. Let's not be distracted. What is the area that, boy, it seems like, oh, we're starting to grow spiritually, but boy, my body, there's still a little bit that I'm holding back for me. I need to give it all to Jesus. Maybe it's not your soul, maybe it's not your body, but between your ears, there is a battle of thoughts that go back and forth between the way of this world and what God would have us to be mindful of there's a consciousness to our Christian walk or even the things we do for the Lord we are aware that we're doing them because his mercy and because of his grace let's examine where we are this evening and let's beg God to do his perfect work